1 John 5, 4. It says this. It says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Are you born of God? Amen. Then that means you're a world overcomer. Is that right? Everybody say, I'm a world overcomer. Now, there's a difference between being overcome and being an overcomer. Isn't that right? Are you the overcome or are you the overcomer? World overcomer. That means anything that's in the world that could come against you, you overcome it. Amen? You beat it. Now, there's a lot of junk that can attack you and attach itself to you from the world. Can't it? Temptations, trials, tests, physical problems, financial problems, relationship problems, a lot of things. Isn't that right? Amen. Stresses and worries and cares. But anything that's in the world that can come against you, you are an overcomer. You come over it. Amen. You beat it. And he tells us the key here to the victory. And he says, this is the victory. That overcomes the world. What is it? Even our faith. Glory. That excites me just to read that. I don't know about you, but it just excites me. Because I'm going to tell you why. Because masses of people are in the dark. They don't know what the key is to victory. And it's so easy to get uh, off track with thinking what it takes to, to, uh, to be victorious in this world. Even people that are Christians, oftentimes they're missing the key. And and it's subtle ways that they're deceived. Sometimes people think, well, prayer's the key. Well, just praying doesn't mean you automatically are victorious. I know quite a few people that that do a lot of praying, they're not very very victorious. It's not just prayer, you have to pray correctly. And how do you pray properly? In faith. Faith is based on the Word of God. You're praying according to the Word and praying according to faith, you'll pray effectively. Now, don't misunderstand me. Prayer is extremely important. But did you say, well, prayer is the key to victory? Well, there's more to it than just just saying just pray. Because there's a lot of people that pray and are not necessarily victorious. And folks say, well, you know, living right. you got to live right. That's the key to victory. Well, yeah, it's important to live right. But... Just because you do good things and, 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 you know, and don't get in this sin or get in that sin, that doesn't mean you're automatically victorious. Right. Amen. Do you hear what I'm saying? There are different things that people get off on and say, well, this is the key or this is the key to victory. The, the, the thing he said, he said, this is the victory. Yes. Isn't that right? Right. I don't know when God says, this is the victory, well, you ought to perk up and be all ears and say, hey, what? Get, get your pad ready. This is the victory. What's what? What, Lord? This is it. Amen. What? Your faith. Your faith. That's the key to being a world overcomer. To being victorious in every situation. That's the key. This is the victory. Everybody say, this is the victory. What is the victory? Your faith. Amen. And when it comes to your life, what is the victory? My faith. Somebody say, well, the power of God is the victory. Without your faith, there will be no manifestation of the power of God. 
Some might say, well, the, it's just the will of God. That's the key to the victory. Well, even though something is God's will, unless you get in faith about it, it won't be manifest for you. Amen. Do you see what we're saying? Amen. Well, you know, just having the anointing and having the power or, or the will of God. Well, certainly these things are, are, are keys and important. But even though God's will is established, even though His power is well able to change the situation, unless you get in faith about it, there will be no manifestation or operation of it. So, what is the victory? This is the victory. Even our faith. Look at your friend and say, your faith is the key to your victory. <laughs> Whose faith? Your faith. Isn't that right? Your faith is the key to your victory. My faith is the key to my victory. Now, get this. Your faith is not the key to my victory. <laughs> my faith is not the key to your victory. Now, I could help you with my faith if you're in faith. And if I'm in faith, you could help me with your faith. But my faith is a far greater key to my victory than your faith is. Isn't that right? Let me say it like this. If I'm not in faith and you are in faith, I still will be defeated. I'm talking about, about my situation. If you try to get in faith for me, but I refuse to get in faith about the situation, then I'm still going to be defeated. If I'm in faith about my situation and you don't believe about my situation, I'm still going to be victorious. Now, did you hear what I said? Let me say it like this. Your faith will not override my doubt. Nor will your unbelief override my faith. You understand what I'm saying? Your unbelief will not override the effects of my faith in my life. But nor will your faith override the effects of my unbelief in my life. This, this was a lot of folk have been confused. I've talked with many people along this line, and, and people say, well, I don't understand. I was believing that this would happen for so-and-so. Well, yeah, but what were they believing? You see, you can't just take your faith and push something off on somebody. We would like to, wouldn't we? Sure you would. You can take your faith and help people and through your prayers and through your faith, make some things easier for people to receive, but you can't receive for them. You can't. How many know you can't just push salvation off on somebody? You can't. How many know you can't receive the new birth experience for somebody else? You can't. You can't receive Jesus for somebody else. You can help with your prayers and with your faith. You can pray that God would enlighten the eyes of their understanding. You can ask God to send laborers across their path. You can take the name of Jesus and come against the darkness that blinds them and deceives them. And you can expect them to hear the gospel. You can expect them to understand. You can expect them to see the light. And that's faith. But when it comes right down to it, whose decision is it, even after they see, whether they're going to receive or not? It's their decision. Same thing is true with healing or anything else. We can help one another with our faith. But we can't just receive for one another with, with our faith. Now, there is an exception to that. And that is parents receiving for small children. That's an exception. 
parents can and do receive for their small children exactly like you'd receive for yourself. Same way. But other than that, that, that does, doesn't work that way. But what is the victory? My faith. Go back with me to Mark 5. Since this is healing school, we're zeroing in on the uh, subject area of healing. Of course, he didn't just limit it to healing there, did he? He said this is the victory that overcomes not just sickness. Of course, sickness is something that's in the world, isn't it? It's one of those things that's in the world that could come against us and cause us a problem. But he didn't just say sickness in 1 John 5, 4. I mean, he's including any and everything. I mean, it, faith is the victory in any area, in any realm. It's the key to obtaining victory. It's your faith. But uh, it, it's the key in the area of getting healed like in any other area. In Mark 5, this is the, the account of the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. You know the story that there was a certain woman that had an issue of blood 12 years. She had suffered many things with many physicians. She had no spent all her money. Everything she had was nothing better but rather grew worse. Heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind, touched his clothes because she, uh, she said within herself, another uh, gospel account says she said it within herself that if I may touch his clothes uh, or the, just the hem of his garment I'll be whole and praise God she touched and the power flowed out of him into her and he stopped and said who touched me and all denied and there was a moment of uh, waiting there and finally she came forward and fell down before him and told him all the truth and what she did and how she was healed you see uh, and Jesus looked at her and said over here in, in verse 34 he said to her daughter Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Amen. Praise God. Now, in talking about healing, let me review a little bit some of the things that we said yesterday and then go on to some other things. And again, uh, I said to you yesterday, don't think that some of these things are too basic for you. That you've already heard it and it's not important, you know. Because the basics is where people miss it. Again and again. And one of the biggest problems is sometimes people think they know something and they don't. And that, that's a big issue. So uh, listen to things like you've never heard them before. Because when it comes to the Bible, even though you may have gotten a lot of light out of any one passage or verse of Scripture, you have not gotten all the light there is to get. And there is something in that truth that you have not seen yet. Isn't that right? So you should always listen to things and look at them as though you had not seen them before because there are things there you have not seen in any verse. How many in here, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Is there anybody in here that has exhausted all the light and truth and revelation from any one verse of Scripture? I didn't think so. Well, that means there's things there that you hadn't seen. So you should be mindful of that and look at it as though there's things there that you had not seen with excitement and anticipation and expectancy. Now, we said to you that uh, though different people have uh, placed the emphasis elsewhere, Jesus placed the emphasis on the individual's faith again and again. Uh, what is the determining factor? Let, let me go over some things real, real briefly that we said yesterday. Uh, first of all, you've got to establish this. Can God and does God heal people? You know, can he heal people and does he heal people? I'm not spending a lot of time on that. I'm assuming you believe that. Amen. 
I'm assuming you're convinced of that. If you're not convinced of that, then you really have to go back to square one. You need to, you first, you have to back up and decide whether you believe the Bible or not. Really. Whether you believe it exactly as it's stated. If you believe the Bible, you believe that God heals. It's full of it. Isn't that right? And if you believe the Bible where he said God does not change, then you have to believe that he's still doing the same thing now that he always did. And, you know, you, you, if you believe the Bible where it says he's no respective person, you have to believe that what he'd do for one, he'd do for another. You have to believe it, if you believe the Bible. And, you know, I, I say that and sometimes people think, well, you know, yeah, everybody believes the Bible. No, everybody doesn't believe the Bible. There's a lot of Christians that don't believe the Bible. At least certain parts of it. They just block it out and don't believe it. But if you believe the Bible, that's settled. God can, God does heal people. Amen. Healing is real. God can do anything. And God can and does heal people. But the second issue you come to then is this. Well, why does God heal some people and some people don't get healed? Why? And that's the age-old question that folk have deliberated about. Why? And so the conclusion that a great portion of Christianity has come to is this. Well, uh, just God's will. That's the determining factor. That some people get healed because it's God's will. And other people don't get healed because it's not God's will. And that is the conclusion that a large portion of the church world today has come to. They believe that. that they're, they think they're settled in that. And uh, the way they determine whether it's God's will or not is by the outcome. You know, if somebody got healed, it was obviously God's will to heal them. If they didn't get healed, it was obviously not God's will to heal them. And so they are basing their conclusion about the will of God from people's experiences, not from the Bible. Now, did you know you could take that same reasoning over into the area of salvation in the new birth and come to some startling conclusions? If, if, if that's the way, if we're supposed to ascertain the will of God by just seeing what happens and what doesn't happen, then uh, that means that people that die without receiving Jesus, it wasn't God's will for them to be saved. And people that are saved, it was His will. Is that true? But Or does the Bible say that God is not willing that any should perish? Is it God's will for people to die without Jesus? Is it God, does it please Him? Is it His will for people to perish without salvation, without being born again? The Bible tells us He is not willing, isn't that the word that's used? It is not His will that any should perish. That means that though people are perishing without Christ, it is not God's will. We don't ascertain the will of God in salvation by whether people died lost or died saved. We ascertain the will of God by the Bible. And even though people might die lost, we know that wasn't God's will and didn't please Him. And certainly if that's true concerning the most important thing in life and existence, it'd be true concerning lesser things. And it is true concerning healing. Just because some Christian did not get healed, that does not prove that it was not God's will to heal them. Any more than because a man died lost, it proved that it was God's will for him to be lost. No ma'am, no sir. We ascertain the will of God by the Bible. 
Now, I'm going through this because I want to establish something again here. And that is, number one, do we believe that God can and does heal? Amen. We believe that. Number two, what determines why some are healed and some are not? Well, see, many, many say, well, God's will. We're saying, not so. What did Jesus emphasize when individuals were healed? What did he emphasize here? Daughter, your faith. Now see, he could have said that different ways. He could have said, daughter, it was God's will to heal you. He didn't say that. He could have said, daughter, you're just one of the lucky ones. He could have said, daughter, you were just randomly chosen and healed. He could have said, daughter, my power healed you. Which, it was the power that did the work, but he didn't put the emphasis there. He could have said, daughter, my faith healed you. He didn't say that. He could have said, daughter, the faith of the disciples and the crowd healed you. He didn't say that. What did he emphasize? Daughter, your faith has healed you. He could have said, daughter, you touched my garment, and that's what healed you. He didn't say that. And that wouldn't have been accurate because uh, multitudes touched him, the scripture here says. And yet all of them weren't healed. Why? She touched differently. She had a touch of a different kind. It was a touch of faith. Now this is not, this is not a lone situation. Did you know that in the Gospels there are ten cases of healing where the individual's faith is specifically referred to? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Here's ten cases. How many know that's substantial? Not not just one, not two, not ten. Now, I didn't say that these were the only cases where faith was evident because faith was evident in more cases than that. But I said in ten of these cases, faith was specifically referred to. I mean, in the text, it said something about their faith. Let me mention them to you real quickly. Are you interested? Firstly, the nobleman's son was healed, and the Bible said he believed and went his way. Well, that's faith in it. Secondly, the palsied man, the man born by four that they let through the roof, you know, the Bible said Jesus saw their faith. Thirdly, The centurion had a servant. Remember him? Centurion's servant. And uh, uh, Jesus said said concerning him, he said, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Jesus mentioned his faith. And again he said to him, as you have believed, so be it done. Believing in faith. Fourthly, Jairus' daughter was healed through through Jairus' faith. Don't you remember that that, uh, Jairus came and said, Lord, if you just come and lay your hand on her, she'll be healed. And then when they got to the house, the servants came and told him, Lord, Jairus, rather, she's dead. Don't trouble the master any further. What did the Lord look at him and say? Don't be afraid. Believe only. Believe. Believe. It's obvious that he was believing before this. And now what Jesus is telling him, don't quit me now. Right? You just keep believing what you told me. What did he tell him? Lord, if you come lay your hand on my daughter, she'll live and she'll be healed. He said, you just keep believing that. Uh, fifthly, 
We see the woman with the issue of blood where we just got through talking about and Jesus told her daughter, your faith has made you whole. Sixthly, we see two blind men. Two blind men. We talked about it earlier in Matthew 9 there. And, and the two blind men came to Jesus and he asked them, he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yea, Lord. And he, he touched them and said, according to your faith, be it unto you. Faith, faith, faith. Seven, number seven, the Syrophoenician woman. Her daughter was healed and Jesus told her it was a direct excuse me, result of her faith. He finally told her at the end of the passage there, he said, O woman, great is thy faith. And see, her daughter was delivered and healed. Number eight, the, the, the demoniac, a man brought his boy to the disciples and he, was, he, he had fits. And uh, don't you remember we talked about that yesterday from Mark 9, where that the man said, Lord, if you can do anything for us, have compassion, us, have compassion on us and help us. And just kind of threw the responsibility of the whole thing over in Jesus' lap. Jesus turned around, handed it back to him, said, If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And the man said, I believe. Amen. Help thou mine unbelief. And the boy was delivered and healed. Number nine. There were ten lepers that were healed over in Luke 17. Remember that? Ten lepers that stood afar and cried and said, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And he said, go your way, show yourself to the priest. And so as they, the Bible said, as they went, they were healed. One of them turned around and came back to give glory to God. And you know what Jesus told him? Your faith has made you whole. Amen. Amen. And number ten, there was blind Bartimaeus. Remember him? Sitting by the roadside, begging and crying. Lo, Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, bring him to me. And he brought him to him and he said, what do you want? He said, I want to receive my sight. Jesus said, receive your sight. Amen. And the Bible Amen. said, he received his sight. Glory. And Jesus said, go your way. Your faith has saved you. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ten. Count them. Ten situations and accounts of people being healed in the Gospels where not only was faith seen and observed, faith was specifically mentioned. Amen. 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 Now see, here's where the Bible puts the emphasis. Here's where Jesus puts the emphasis. It's on the individual's faith. So back to our question. Can God and does God heal today? How many believe I want, I want to hear something. Can God and does God heal today? Amen. Yes. 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 See, if you don't believe that, there's no need you being here at healing school. <laughs> right? But if you believe that, then you're on your way. But not only that, here's the issue. Why are some healed and some are not? Where did Jesus put the emphasis? On the individual's faith. Not on the power of God. Because God's power is able to take care of everybody. Not on the will of God, because it is His will for all to be healed, just like it's His will for all to be saved. But He placed the emphasis on the individual's faith. He ta- I, I like, that's why I chose that text over in Mark 5. I like, it just sums it up. He looked at her and said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Amen. Everybody said out loud, my faith will make me whole. Say it with me at least three times. My faith 
will make me whole. My faith will make me whole. Again, my faith will make me whole. Now, I realize that sometimes people, they don't like that emphasis. They say, what do you mean my? God's the one that makes you whole. And see, that sounds, you know, people, that sounds like we're folk are giving the emphasis in the right direction. But no, if it was just up to God, everybody would be whole now. That's right. Amen. Did you hear me? Amen. If it was just up to His power, if it was just up to His will, everybody would be whole now. But that's not the, His power and His will are not the determining factors as to whether somebody's healed or not. That has already been established and settled. What is the determining factor? The individual's faith. We ought to know that. What's the determining factor in whether somebody's saved or not? The will of God? The redemption? The power of it? No, no. Their faith. And it's that way with everything. What's the determining factor whether somebody is healed or not? Their faith. What's the determining factor whether somebody is delivered or their needs are met or they're victorious? Their faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Can you say amen? So we've caught everybody up together with us where we were yesterday. Took us a little while. But it didn't hurt you that we're here yesterday to hear it again either. You're, you're, got, you're clear on it now and you were yesterday. And you can't, how many know you can't be too clear <laughs> on the things of God? You can't have it too strong and you can't be too settled in it. I mean, I've been preaching some of these truths myself for years. And I don't mean once a month. I mean five times a week. Sometimes, I used to preach it sometimes two and three times a day in the same situation. Sometimes, you know, at times on the weekend. I never get tired of hearing it. I never get tired of hearing. So, I've had people say, well, don't you get tired of preaching on healing all the time? Every day, healing, 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 healing. Never get tired. Never. Amen. Never. I learn more about it. Get more established in it. Yes. Hey, this is real. This works. Amen. This is an answer. Hallelujah. Amen. People don't have to just throw up their hands in the face of cancer or tumors or, right. or arthritis or heart failure or whatever. You don't just have to say, well, whatever will be, will be. No. It's God's will for you to be healed. And all things are possible to him that believes. Faith is the key. Faith is the determining factor. Why are some healed and some are not? Same reason some are saved and some are not. Some believe and some don't. Well, now we went into talking about faith then yesterday. And we mentioned three areas. Anybody remember what they are? Go with me to Romans, and I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you tell me here in just a minute. But go with me to Romans, the tenth chapter. If faith is the determining factor, then we should be highly interested, extremely interested in faith. Do I have anybody interested in faith? In about ten people. Praise God! I'm going to talk to you ten. No, I know the rest of you are too. We should be very, very interested in faith. What is the victory? Our faith. And we mention three things that are involved in faith. In Romans 10, the Bible said in verse uh, 14, it says, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? Well, they, they won't. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, they can't. 
How will they hear without a preacher? They can't. And verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We mentioned to you that there are three things revealed here, revealed in Mark 5, revealed in other places that we talked about, that you can see that are involved in faith. And what were they? Number one was hearing. hearing. And number two is believing. believing. And number three is doing. Now you can see that here in this passage. He said, how will they call on those in whom they've not believed? Well, they can't. Calling is doing. Calling is doing something. It's an action. Saying is an action. Confessing is an action. There are a lot of different actions that reveal and express faith. Don't you remember James said, faith without works or action is dead. There's got to be some kind of action to release your faith. And the number one action of releasing your faith is saying. I said the number one action. Uh, you know, James 2 talked about several, t- you know, two or three times through there. It said faith without works is dead. But James 3, which of course, you know, it's just one letter. It all goes together. James 3 immediately begins talking about the words of a person's mouth. Why? Because that's the number one action. He, he's, he didn't change subjects in the middle of the book there. Uh, as so frequently is the case. You need to be careful about thinking that just because the chapter number changes that it's a completely different subject now. Now see, these were not originally written in chapter and verse. They were written letters. And there's a continuity that flows through the whole thing. And so many times when you're reading, you just need to disregard chapter and verse numbers. Just read it like a letter. Because it all flows together. Chapter and verse numbers are added for reference sake. And it's good for that. But you don't need to put too much emphasis on it otherwise. But uh, he, he, how, how will they call or how will they act unless they believe? Well, they, they won't. And how will they believe unless they've heard? So he mentions calling, which is doing something. Then he mentions believing. Well, uh, you've you got to believe. But how can you believe unless you hear? You can't. So hearing comes first. There's hearing, and then once you hear, you can believe if you want to. And then once you believe, you can act. You can do something. And the number one action is saying. Sometimes it's the only action that you need to release your faith. For instance, take the new birth. Do we see those three principles there? What's the first thing that happened uh, on your way to being born again? You heard the gospel. Then when you heard the gospel, what did you do? You believed it. And then because you believed it, what did you do? Well... You could have, there was some action involved, wasn't it? And uh, you, you might have gotten up out of your chair and went down to the altar. That was an action, wasn't it? You might have uh, prayed a prayer with somebody. But while you were praying, what were you doing? You were saying. And the key action that Romans 10 here tells us, back, back over in the ninth and 10th verse, it says that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised you from the dead, you'd be saved. I had somebody tell me one time, they said, well, you know, I I believe, James 2, that you need to act your faith, and I need to act my faith. How do I act my faith? What do I need to do to act my faith? And I began to mention to them that the number one way of acting your faith is saying. And I began to talk to them about confession and what you say. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that saying, but I need to act. See, they were belittling saying. They were thinking, well, you know, saying is not that big of a uh, big of a deal. I really need to act, you see. Well, there are different actions besides saying. Don't misunderstand me. 
But the major action is saying, and you don't need to belittle that. So I just asked him, I said, okay. I said, are you born again? Yeah. How'd you get born again? What action did you use to release your faith to cause the miracle of the new birth, which is the greatest miracle, to occur? Did you run around the church? Did you stand on your head? What'd you do? What'd you do? They confessed with their mouth, they said. And that's all you did? Yeah. But it was sufficient. Amen. It did release your faith to cause you to be born again. Now, there are other actions involved uh, after that, too, as you walk with the Lord. But, thank God, that's the number one action. Hearing, believing, doing. These things are involved in faith. Now, I want us to back up to this. Uh, this we, we talked a little bit about hearing. And the Bible said, take heed what you hear and how you hear, because that's how faith comes. And faith can be destroyed by hearing the wrong thing. Our faith can be strengthened by hearing the right thing. You need to be careful about what you hear. You know, if you're facing, let's just take the area of sickness. If you're attacked with sickness and disease, you're facing a serious situation, you don't need to just hear anything. And a bunch of things that are negative, you see, along the along in these lines. Uh, you don't need to hear it. A lot of times, because you know what you don't hear, you don't have to deal with. You don't need to sit around and hear about this one and what happened to them and how this one perished and how this one died from this disease and how this one didn't make it and this one. You don't need to hear all that. You need to hear things that build up your faith. Amen. 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 And that's the very reason why healing school is here. That's why this place is here. That's why this class occurs is because Brother Hagen, as a teenager, on, on, on the bed, paralyzed, deformed heart and chest cavity and blood disease, dying. Doctor said there was no hope. And nearly everybody that came told him something negative. Just tore his faith down, you see. I mean, he didn't, didn't hardly had any faith to begin with at that point. Uh, but then he, he said, well, if he could just get the preacher to come and see him. Of course, preachers are supposed to build up your faith. Aren't they? I said, supposed to. Don't mean they do, but they're supposed to. And he came and he, he's looking for some gleam of hope, something to hang on. He's just a young man. Doctor says he got to die. And the preacher comes in. And takes his hand and pats it and said, Just be patient, my boy. In a few more days, it'll all be over. Well, now, that didn't build his faith up. He didn't need to hear that. That took what little rug of faith he was standing on and jerked it out from under him. Just depression filled the room. And he thought, Oh, God, there's nothing but to die. And not to knock the, the, the pastor because I guess he just didn't know. I mean, no pastors don't know everything. Preachers don't know everything. But that's sad. You should be built up and edified. Amen. <laughs> you know? I remember years ago, I had an uncle. This is back before I ever came to school or here at Rama or I was in the ministry. Years ago, I was just getting a hold of some things about the fact that God wants us to be healed and that faith is the determining factor. And an uh, uncle of mine was diagnosed with lung cancer. And... Uh, they they opened him up in exploratory surgery, and they didn't even try to operate. They just closed him back up. They said, it's too far progressed. They said, you just, you know, he, he'll probably live a little while and then just die. That's it. You know, there's nothing nothing we can do. And when, when they told us that and I heard about that, I thought, no, no, he doesn't have to die. He didn't have to die. God's in the healing business. Amen. How many know that? God's in the healing business. And I thought, no, he doesn't have to die. Well, he lived several... Uh, you know, a good distance from where I lived. But I sent him some tapes. I sent him some verses. I wrote him some letters trying to encourage him and, and, and build up his faith. 
and went, went to visit him a couple of times. And on one occasion when I went to visit him, I talked to him at length about what the Bible says and trying to build up his faith because faith comes by hearing, doesn't it? But what you trying to build up his faith. And when I left, the family caught me off by the side and they said, you know, we really appreciate you coming. And, and uh, uh, what, what's the word they use? Uh, trying to prepare and console, you know, so and so. And, and I was not trying to prepare him to die. I wasn't trying to console him, get him, get him to accept his situation. I'm trying to talk him into living. Amen. Trying to talk him into the notion to believe in God, to heal him. But they'd just kind of pat me on the back and say, well, you know, we appreciate you coming and, you know, just consoling him and comforting him. No, I'm trying to get faith in the man. Well, to make a long story short, the man, he, he got worse and worse. I mean, you know, he took, uh, uh, chemotherapy and I don't know, some different kinds of treatments and lost all his hair, was just so pale and lost the weight until he just, you know, just looked terrible. Just, you, you know, it wouldn't be surprised from the natural point, standpoint you think, well, he died. If they told you he died last night, you know, it wouldn't surprise you from the natural standpoint because he just looked like he couldn't make it much longer. But one day, everybody say one day. One day. <laughs> one day his wife said he came to the, uh, the, the kitchen doorway and, and he, see, I'd been sending him materials and he'd been listening to it and reading and stuff. And he stood there. He said, uh, he said, you know, he said, uh, by Jesus stripes, I'm healed. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. By Jesus stripes, I'm healed. Now, did you, did you know you don't have to understand that to get it to work for you? You just got to believe it. You don't have to understand how that you are washed from your sin by His blood to be saved. You don't have to understand that, but you do have to believe it and accept it. And see, he had heard that enough and read that enough until he just decided, bless God, he believed that. By His stripes, I am healed. He went and told his wife. Did you know they that, that bothered them? It bo- they told me it bothered them. They said, well, you know, it's bad. It's gone to his head. And he, uh, and he you know, he, he's saying these rash things, you know. Well, thank God it, got, it went to his head. It went to his heart too. Hallelujah. The word I'm talking about. Not the cancer. But you know, he began to get better. He began to put on weight. Week after week, he gained weight. His hair began to grow back. Nobody expected it. The doctors didn't expect it. Within three months, he's back on the job. Working. Gained his weight back. Gained his health back. Went to the doctors. They told him, well, you know, it's you're healed. But see, he'd been saying that for a long time before he heard them say it. Praise God. Wasn't just trying to console him, get him ready to die. Trying to build up the man's faith. Yes. I'm saying to you, you need to watch about what you hear, don't you? We said that first area here is hearing. You need to be careful about what you hear. Don't let, don't just listen to a bunch of stuff that robs you of your faith. People say, well, let me tell you about this and about this bad thing that happened. About this so and so, they didn't get healed and so and so, this didn't happen. This didn't happen with them or whatever. Don't listen to it. You don't want to hear it. That's right. Well, why did that not happen? Why did they not get healed? You don't know. That's them. There's a lot of things you're not going to know about other people's lives. Even if you pray and ask God to show you, some things He'll tell you that's between me and them. That's a polite way of saying it's none of your business. 
You understand what I'm saying? Amen. And you may not know why some things happened or didn't happen with somebody else because, you know, that's their life and their heart and some things. And you're not to try to cast any shadows about it. Just leave it alone. But where you are concerned, it's up to you. Amen. Amen. And you can live and not die. You can be healed. It's up to you. Don't listen to things that tear down your faith and present a bunch of questions and wranglings that would confuse you. You need to, if you're, if you're needing to be healed, you need to be around somebody in, in a church and reading materials and listening materials that are going to build up your faith. That's right. You know, one thing that frustrates me sometimes is I've had people come out here and stay with us a week or two or even a month or so. And, and while I'm talking about that, let me say what I, I say, you know, frequently. And that is that uh, if you come out here to, to receive, uh, you just come and stay long as you want to. Long as you feel like you need to. Some people need to come and stay with us a little while. Longer than a day or two. Some longer than a week or two. Some, you know, a month or two. Come stay with us. If you don't get tired of looking at us, we won't get tired of looking at you. You just come. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's what we're here for. Because not that it takes God a long time to do something. It doesn't. But sometimes it takes us a little while to change our thinking, to change our believing, get ourselves established in, in faith. But uh, uh, when it comes to, to, to believing God, you, you've got to get established in faith. And what you hear makes all the difference. You don't need to hear wrong stuff. And when it, when it comes to the people coming, I've said, you know, that some people have come and, and sat in the class and heard and got built up. And some people, I've seen people that were 50% improved after a week or two, or 80% improved. Or some people that virtually all their symptoms were gone just in the matter of a few weeks. To me, that's stupendous. That's outstanding. But I have seen people like that go back to their area and to a church and to a pastor that preached against healing. They preached that it wasn't God's will for everybody to be healed. And I've seen them get torn down, get their faith torn, pulled out from under them, and get back in the same shape. Well, see, you can't afford to do that. You can't afford to do that. I'm not preaching against anybody. I'm preaching against any church or any group or any denomination because there's good folk in all groups. If you do, you know, people that love God. But the thing is, if you are attacked with a severe situation of sickness and disease, you don't need to be hearing a bunch of stuff that's contrary to the Word of God about maybe it's not God's will for you to be healed or maybe not now. Maybe God's teaching you something through the sickness or on and on and on. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. You don't need to hear that. Right. Don't let your ears be open to that. Don't spend a bunch of time around people that are telling you that. Don't go sit and hear messages that are designed to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Amen. If your faith's going to be strong, you have to feed it on good things that build up your faith. So hearing, take heed to what you hear. But when it comes to believing, this second area, let's talk about this some. Go with me over to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Now, if you want to learn some things about faith, Hebrews 11 is a good place to look. I mean, if you just look in the concordance under the heading of faith, and you want to find out what book in the New Testament has more references, I mean, when you get to chapter 11, it's got faith, 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 faith. Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. Isn't that right? It'd do you good just to sit down and read chapter 11. Once and again and again and again and again. Just just read chapter 11. Back up and read chapter 11 again. Back up and read chapter 11 again. Just read chapter 11. 
Amen. Amen. Just read. In fact, I'd like for you to do that this evening. I'm talking particularly to those of you that are coming to receive healing. I'd like for you to read chapter 11 tonight at least seven times. Amen. 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 That's only seven chapters. Right? But it's the same chapter. (laughs) Do you know what I'm talking about? I I don't mean just a little while. I mean several years. I mean, I, I, I knew what it said, but didn't have much of a revelation of what it meant. And don't have all the revelation that I intend to have of what it means. But thank God I know I know more about it now than I used to. One thing that helped me was the defining of some of these words in here. You know, that's always a principle to, to go by. If you take, just take a verse. If you, if you take a verse and you read the verse and you don't understand the verse, break it down into its smaller parts. That's always the principle of understanding something. You know, if you understand, if you, if you look at the whole and you don't understand the whole, break it down into its parts and examine each one. And you might say, take this part. Well, I understand that. Take this part. I understand that. Take this. And if you break it down into its smaller parts, you will come to a part that you don't understand. And oftentimes understanding that part or that word or that segment is the key to understanding the whole thing. Are you with me? So anytime you don't understand the whole of something, don't just necessarily just keep looking at the whole. Break it down into its smaller parts. Let's just take a sentence. If you don't understand a sentence, somebody says a sentence to you and you don't understand it, why don't you understand it? There's a word or words in there you don't understand. You, there might, you might understand all of the words except two. Well, it's those two that you need to focus in on and, and get an understanding of them. And when you understand them, you'll understand the whole sentence. Amen. Now, let's break this down into the words and look at it. Now, how many understand now? <laughs> we got now, I think. Now is different from was. Past, yesterday, our future will be now. Faith. Now, since since we're th- this sentence is defining faith, we're not going to talk about faith because the whole rest of the sentence defines faith. Now faith is. Now faith is the substance. Now let's stop with that word. Substance. Actually, uh, this word, the, the Greek word for substance here is used in several places in the New Testament. Not just here. But this is kind of a, a rare expression of the word. Usually the word is not translated substance. It's usually translated confidence. This word in the New Testament is usually translated confidence. It literally means a setting under. A setting under. Now you might wonder, what what does that have to do with confidence? Well, a setting under has to do with a foundation. That which is set under, that you know, it, it, it's the foundation that you stand on. So we could say it like this. Now faith is the substance or the confidence. Faith is the confidence. I like that word. In fact, several places in the New Testament, like we've already said, this same Greek word that's found here is translated confidence. So we'd be doing no harm to the text whatsoever to add, to, to, instead of saying substance, to say confidence. 
Because that's the way the same word is translated to other places. Now faith is the confidence. How many could believe that, that faith is confidence? That's a good word, isn't it? Faith is confidence. Do you have confidence? Yes. <laughs> confidence is indicative of faith. Confidence of what, though? Now faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Let's look at this word hope here. Faith is the confidence of things hoped for. Now, I've said this before here. Those of you that have been with us in the past, you might remember this. But uh, understanding this word hope better has been one of the greatest helps to me in understanding faith. Over the last few years, if I'd single one thing out that, that has just, just been a tremendous help to me in understanding what faith is and how it operates, it'd be this word right here, hope. Now, we've said to you before that in charismatic circles and word and faith circles, hope is not highly respected. You know? And yet, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that hope is one of the three great forces that will never cease. Isn't that right? Amen. Hope is listed right along with faith and with love listed equally. But you know, uh, uh, <laughs> started to say so there, but you know that hope has been treated like, uh, you know, like we say down south, it's been treated like a stepchild <laughs> among charismatics. Now don't, don't run off with that, but what it means is it hadn't been treated properly. Doesn't mean everybody treats stepchildren improperly, but some folk have. It's been treated like it didn't belong there. It's been treated like it didn't have the place of some of these other uh, words like faith and love, but it does. It does. And I think one of the biggest reasons why it has been not looked at properly is because of the way language changes from year to year and from decade to decade, century to century. Most of the time when we use the word hope in our modern vernacular, we do not mean what this word means here. The classical example you have is somewhat, you know, in charismatic circles anyway, is you got a healing line, folk come up to be healed, and the minister says, do you believe that you'll be healed when I lay hands on you right now? And the person says, I sure hope so. And all the charismatics go, boo, no, no. That's bad. I sure hope so. That's no good. That's not faith. That's only hope. Well, no. Did you know really that is not hope? Folks say, well, that's only hope. That's not faith. No. What this person just got through expressing is not Bible hope. No. And that's where the confusion has come in. Really, uh, Let me give you the definition for the word hope. The Greek word hope means to expect. To expect. And often it includes the idea of confident expectation. Well, I mean, you can see that with this. Now faith is the confidence of things hoped for or of things expected. Are you getting this? You can say it like this so far. Now faith is the confidence of things expected. And that is doing no harm to the text, 
The translation of those words are consistent with other translations in the in the uh, New Testament, in the same New Testament. Now, the thing is, we don't in our modern vernacular we don't use the word hope that way. When, when, let's say go back to the classic classical example. The individual comes up in the prayer line. The minister says, "Do you believe you'll be healed right now when I lay hands on you?" And they look up and say, "Well, I I, I sure hope so." Do they mean I confidently expect to be? No. no. Then they don't mean hope according to the way it appears here in the Bible. What then do they mean? I sure hope so. They could say it like this. I wish it would be. Isn't that right? I wish it would be that way. Really, uh, to use the word wish would define what's happening here and the idea and the concept much better than the word, than the biblical word hope. I don't want you to be confused with me on this. Am I making this clear? You see, we, we need to understand the difference between wishing and Bible hope. When people say, oh, I sure hope so and so happens, they don't mean I confidently expect it to happen. They mean I wish it would happen. I want it to happen. They're talking about desire. And so many times when folk have said, oh, I hope so, what they are expressing is desire. They are not expressing faith and they are not expressing hope. They are only expressing desire. Now, thank God for desire, but it takes more, des- more than desire. The Bible didn't say this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our desire. Amen. Right? It's our faith. Now, I think you can see, if you begin to think with me on this, you can see, uh, I don't know at the times that I've had people come to me and say, I wish you'd talk to brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, you know, about their healing. They're, they're sick and they have problems. And I just don't understand. They have a lot of faith. But a lot of times when you get right down to it, what they're calling faith is not faith. You know, they may have a lot of faith that God is real. They may love God. They may have a strong desire to be healed. They may have a faith and believe that God is able to heal. But that's not the faith that is required to receive. You've got to believe that you receive. Don't you? Amen. And the Bible says what is faith? Faith is the confidence of things expected. So when you read the word hope in the Bible... Don't look at it disparagingly. And don't look at it and think, well, you know, that's got nothing to do with faith. That's just, uh, uh, you know, just wishing and, and whatever. No, it's not. It's a different word. The word literally means confident expectation. How many believe that we are saved by grace through faith? Is that right? How many believe we are saved by hope? The Bible says that we are. Why? Because if you have faith, you have hope. Amen. I said if you have faith, you have hope. Go with me to Romans, the 8th chapter real quickly. Are you thinking with me today? I told you, understanding hope has helped me as much as any one thing. In the last you know, few years... Helping me to understand what faith is. And then, of course, the more you understand it, the more you're able to operate in it. 
It's a key to being able to operate more in faith. But in Romans 8th chapter, what does more faith mean? More faith means more victory. Because faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Romans 8.24. Romans 8.24 says, For we are saved by hope. <laughs> I told you we were. For we are saved. I didn't just think that up. You don't think I'm just standing up here making up stuff, do you? Preachers supposed to preach the word, aren't they? For we are saved by hope. Somebody said, well, I thought we were saved by faith. We are. He's saying the same thing. I said he's saying the same thing. If you have faith, you have hope. Somebody said, didn't you get that backwards, Brother Keith? No. Don't you mean that we have hope? You have to have hope before you can have faith? No. Somebody said, well, I heard brother, somebody, brother so-and-so teach that. I know. And according to the way they said it, it's right. But you have to use the first definition of hope. Which is not the Bible definition, but it's the way we use the word hope nowadays. How many still with me? <laughs> well, don't you have to have hope before you can have faith? Yes, if you mean hope. No, listen, listen, some of you talking and should be listening. Don't you have to have hope before you can have faith, Brother Keith? Yes, if you mean hope the way we use it in our modern vernacular. No, if you mean hope the way it's used in the Bible. You understand what I'm saying? Don't we have to have hope before we can have faith? According to the Bible usage of the word hope, no, you have to have faith and then your faith gives you hope. What is hope? Confident expectation. You can see why folk are confused about it, can't you? Why? Because the way we use the word hope in our modern vernacular is not the way the word is used in the Bible. doesn't mean the same thing. So, you know, I don't want you to leave here and say, well, Brother Keith's contradicting this fellow or that fellow's teaching and preaching. No, I agree with them. But they're not using the word hope the way it's used in the Bible. They're using the word hope the way we use it in our modern vernacular. Which is fine. Folk know what, folk know what the, you know, that's what people think when you say hope. They think, they're thinking about desire. Like the individual said, will you be healed now when I pray for you? I sure hope so. They do not mean I confidently expect to be. They mean I want it. I desire it. I wish it's that way. That is not faith and it is not hope either. It is desire. Yes, before you have faith, you need desire. You need to want something. Isn't that right? Seek to hear the truth and, and your desire will motivate you. To, and your desire will help you to, to reach up, to, to set goals, to want something and to reach out after it. But that's not Bible hope. That is uh, desire. Look at verse 24. For we are saved by hope. Is that true? Now, why is that true? 
Let's, let's put the definition here. For we are saved by expectation. Why do we have an expectation? Because we have faith. Because we believe. And we're saved because of our faith. This is just another way of saying it. We're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for it? In other words, you don't expect something that's there. Right? <laughs> Expectancy is not a factor when it's there. I mean, you know, if Aunt Minnie is sitting at the table, you don't say, well, we're expecting Aunt Minnie. No, she's there. Right? You can only expect her until she gets there. He said, for we're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for what we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. I can tell you all are real excited about this. No, I know you are. You just, your wheels are just turning. You're thinking. Now let's substitute for the word hope the definition of the word hope, which is expect or expectancy. Let's read it like that. For we are saved by expectation. But expectation that is seen is not expectation. For what a man sees, why does he yet expect it? But if we expect that for which we, that, if we expect that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Amen. Did you, did you hear that? If we expect what we don't see, then we patiently wait for it. Glory to God. Amen. Now go back to Hebrews 11. You get a hold of some of these things. It'll help you, your faith. It'll, it'll just help you walk by faith. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now faith is the confidence of things expected. The evidence. Now let's look up that word. What does that mean? Evidence is translated two other ways. It basically means these, these two things. <clears throat> it means conviction. And it also means proof. Which really that's an overlapping uh, definition. <clears throat> because if you're convicted of something, that means you're convinced of it. If you're convinced of something, it means as far as you're considered, as far as you consider it, it's proven. Isn't that right? Amen. It's proven to you. You're settled. You're convinced. We know that faith is being convinced. Isn't it? Amen. Convinced of what? Convinced of things that are not seen. Now let's put all this together and read it and think about it. Now faith is the confidence of things expected, the conviction of things not seen. Now you can take that and chew on it a while. Now faith is the confidence of things expected, 
the conviction of things not seen. Now let me divide it into two. He, he, he really basically deals with two distinct areas here, doesn't he? Faith has to do with things that are not yet and things that are not seen. I said faith has to do with things that are not yet. And when I say not yet, I mean not yet in this physical realm. And faith has to do with things that are not seen in this physical realm. Now, skipping on down to Hebrews 11.6, this goes right along with this verse of Scripture. Hebrews 11.6. He said, he said, but without faith, it is impossible to please Him. I said we ought to be highly interested in faith. He said, for he that comes to God must believe that He is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You gotta believe that God is. And you gotta believe that he rewards you when you diligently seek him. You gotta believe that. How many believe God is? You believe he exists? You believe he's real? Do you believe he is God, which means he is omniscient, omnipotent? He can do anything. He knows everything. Do you believe that? He, he is God and He is real. You know, quite a few people believe that. But the, the next step is where you lose a lot of folk. <laughs> do you also believe that when you reach up, He reaches down? When you ask, He gives. When you seek, He'll cause you to find. Now see, a lot of folk are not, they're not really convinced about that. They believe it's entirely possible for them, uh, possible for them to diligently seek God and come away with nothing. Empty handed. They believe it's entirely possible to pray your heart out and believe with everything within you and still just fall flat on your face for reasons nobody knows. Did you hear me? And that's not true. See, they're, they're failing to meet one of the main criteria here. you got to believe that God is. He is and He is real and He is God and He can do anything. But you got to go beyond that. you gotta, you got to have it settled in your heart. you got to know that if I really seek to God for something, He will answer me. He will reward me. You know what that word literally means? Uh, rewarder? It means payback. Literally. That's what it means. In other words, will there be any payback for you seeking God? Will you get anything out of it? Yes, you do. Yes, you got to believe that. God will meet you. He will answer you. He will help you. He will sustain you. This is really some some restatement here in this sixth verse of some things that are mentioned in verse one. Now, faith is the confidence of things expected. And it is the conviction or the proof of things that are not seen. And we said to you that faith has to do with two areas. That according to Hebrews 11 here, it has to do with things that are not yet. 
Because remember, if you uh, if we are expecting something, it, it's not here. Is that right? It's not yet, and also it is not seen. So if your healing is not yet and not seen, then you're in a situation to be in faith. Isn't that right? How do you get in faith about it? Well, you got to believe in something you can't see, and you got to expect that something's going to happen that hadn't happened yet. <laughs> Can you do that? See, sometimes people say, well, I, I'll just talk about expectancy. You know, I don't understand that because uh, I thought, you know, faith is just all now. And you're talking about uh, expecting something to happen in the future. I thought faith is now. Faith is now. But faith affects both both tenses in both realms. Uh, over in Mark eleven twenty four, you remember what it says, don't you? It's, he said, verily I say unto you, that, that whatever you desire... When you pray, believe that you receive them. What things are you desire? When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Now, believe and you receive, that's present tense. That happens right then when you pray. You shall have them, shall have, is future tense. Isn't that right? Amen. Faith deals with both realms, unseen realm and the seen realm. Faith deals with both tenses, now and future. When he says, now faith is the confidence of things expected, it is the conviction or proof of things not seen, we can see it very evidently in the prayer of faith. Let's say that you're sick. Let's say that you need help. And you go to the Lord. And you say, Lord, let's say you didn't even know anything about redemption or by his stripes you were healed. You just came and said, Lord, I ask you to heal my body. Well, if that's what you want, what did Mark eleven twenty four tell you to do about it? What things serve you desire when you pray? It's all right to pray about it. It's all right to ask for it. But when you pray, what do you do? Believe that you receive. When? Then. When you pray, right then. Amen. Well, now, you, you, you don't see that, though, do you? But you're convinced about something you don't see. And he said, what had happened then? You shall have them. So now you believe according to, let's bring another scripture in here. First John 5, 14 and 15. He said, this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Amen. And if he hears us whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. When do we know we have the answer to our prayer? As soon as we pray. Before we see or feel any change, we know. That's faith, isn't it? That's faith. So here I am, I've prayed. I've asked the Lord to do something for me. And according to the Word of God, I know when I prayed according to the Bible and according to the will of God, I know He heard me. I know He said yes to my prayer. I know the answer has already been granted. I'm confident of it. And I'm convinced, according to the Word of God, I'm convinced that even though I don't see it, I don't feel it, I'm convinced that's the way it is. God has said yea and amen to my prayer. It's established. And because of that, I expect the changes to occur in my body. If you're in faith, you are expecting. I said if you're in faith, you are expecting. You're expecting. 
You're expecting. Glory to God. How many have prayed about something? Do you believe God heard your prayer? Then is it settled? Did you believe you received when you prayed? If you do, then right now you should be what? Expecting. Expecting. Somebody says, well, when, when is it going to show up? I don't know. Soon. When are you going to believe that you've got it? I already believe I've got it. When are you going to see it and feel it? Soon. Amen. And you're expecting. Every morning when you get up, you're expecting. Every night when you go to bed, you're expecting. Even though your body might be racked with pain, you're expecting it to stop. You're expecting it to change. Even though you might be weak so weak you can't get out of bed, you're expecting strength to come. You're expecting. You've prayed. God's heard your prayer. It's done. You believed you received. You're convinced of things you don't see and you are expecting. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The stronger your faith is, the more vibrant your expectancy. The greater your anticipation. Your faith can be so strong until you just almost are shaking with expectancy. Oh, it just any moment, just any moment, just any moment, things are going to happen. Hallelujah. Glory. Now you're, now you're talking about having a service. If you can get a whole room full of folk together that are all vibrant with expectancy. My Lord, you can have miracles. Miracles happen right there in, on, on the spot. But you get a bunch of folk in that are not expecting anything, you know, just kind of ho-hum. You can't have much of a service. Because there's not much faith there. What's the determining factor? Faith. Faith is revealed in expectation. Amen. Amen. Now faith is. Amen. Faith is the confidence of things expected. You're, you're confident in your heart about what you've prayed and about what you've said and about what, that God has heard your prayer and some things are already set in motion and because of it you are living and breathing expectation. Glory. Amen. 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 Somebody said, what if I expect nothing happens? That's doubt. That's wavering. Kick that out the door. Don't, don't, don't let that get in. We already told you. The Bible said it's written. Nobody's ever trusted in him and was made ashamed. Nobody ever expected him to fulfill his word and was let down. It's never happened. And it never will happen. He, we, we sang a moment ago, I trust him. I trust him. Do you trust him? Is he faithful? He'll do what he said he would do. Amen. Amen. Take, take the, you know, the, the scripture in Mark 16, 18. Believers will lay hands on the sick. And what did God say would happen? They shall recover. So if an individual comes up and you lay hands on them, what should they leave expecting? They shall recover. Isn't that right? Amen. Yeah, but what if it doesn't happen? Two, two, two possibilities. If it didn't happen, if they didn't recover, there are only two possibilities. Either God didn't do what he said he would do, or you didn't believe and expect him to do it. I'm going to go with the second. Are you listening? I said, I'm going to go with the second. God cannot lie. It is not possible for him to lie. He's no respecter of persons. He never changes. He always does what he said he would do. Amen. But see, that's not, that's just not him. We've got to expect it. We've got to believe it. We've got to expect. 
Praise God. In closing, Romans 4. Romans, the fourth chapter. Now, we may pick up here tomorrow and go into some detail on this passage of Scripture. We'll just see how the Lord leads us. But this is the story of Abraham. And if you want to learn about faith, study Abraham. Abraham had faith. He's called the father of faith. Amen. We that are of faith are called his children. Children of faithful Abraham. I mean, Abraham and faith are almost synonymous terms. You talk about Abraham and you think faith. Faith. The man had faith. How did he have faith? It's just really, really simple. God showed up one day and made a promise to Abraham. Amen. He said, your seed, your descendants are going to be like the stars of heaven for multitude and going to be like the sand of the sea for multitude. And I'm going to give you this land. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And what's, what, you know, the great magnificence, magnificence, <laughs> magnificence of faith can be seen right here. What did Abraham do that made him the father of faith? He said, I believe that. Amen. That's it. People try to make faith some terribly hard, difficult thing. You don't have to figure out everything God said to have faith. You don't have to have some superior uh, celestial uh, degree of intelligence to have faith. You don't have to be able to quote half the Bible to have faith. What you do have to be is like a child. You know what the scripture said? Unless you become converted and become like little children. What do little children do oftentimes? When he's talking about childlike faith, you tell a child something. Daddy, why is the moon in the sky? The Lord made it. Okay. <laughs> do you understand? No, they don't understand it. Just, okay. Amen. You see, God's looking for people like that. He's run into a bunch of people that are not like that. In our society, with everybody with their university degree and everybody with all their books that they've read and all the things that they've learned and they're so proud of their intellect, when God says something, they want to dissect it and take it into a thousand pieces and they're not going about to accept it and believe it until they can figure it all out, which means they will never believe it. And they demand of God, well, you let me figure it out and then I'll accept it. And that's not the way it works with God. You accept it first. Right. Then He adds understanding to you. Because it is, it's, it's, it's insubordination. It's rebellion. It's ignorance for the created being to look up in the face of His Creator and say, if I can't figure it out, I won't accept it. To elevate the, the, an individual's puny intelligence on the same level as their Creator. Ignorant. But God came down and he said, uh, Abram, I am your exceeding great reward. Walk before me and be perfect. And I will bless you. He said, Abram, look up in the sky. See all those stars? Mm -hmm. That's the way your children are going to be. Can you count those stars? Mm -mm. That's how many kids you're going to have. Abram, look on the seashore. See all that sand? Mm-hmm. Can you count all those grains of sand? Mm-mm. That's how many kids you will have. 
You believe that, Abram? Yep. And the Bible said it was imputed to him for righteousness and he became the father of many nations. Glory to God! Hallelujah! Now, do you have the Abraham kind of faith? Do you? And God looks at you and he says, Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and by his stripes you were healed. You believe that? Yep. Amen. It's simple. But see, you got a bunch of folk, bless their hearts. Yeah, but now what about this? How come this? And what about what happened to sister so and so? And I don't understand. You see, they're not taking it in simple faith. You just, you either accept it or you don't. Now, because Abraham accepted God at his word, and because he accepted him and believed the promise, it caused him to expect. You can see it here in this passage. Here in, in Romans 4, verse 17. Well, back up to verse 16. He says, therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now again, what does faith consist of? Faith consists of things that are not yet and things that are not seen. And you see here that faith calls those things that be not. In other words, things that are not yet, as though they were. And of course, these things are also not seen. Verse 18, talking about Abraham, who against hope, there's our word hope again. Now what does that mean? Expectancy. Now what does it mean against expectancy? Let's read the whole thing. Who against hope believed in hope. That he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Glory. Praise God. Amen. 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 What about hope? How, how does hope play in here? Expectancy. Who against hope Believed in hope. What does that mean? It means simply this. There was no reason for Abraham to expect to have a child. But you know what he did? He expected anyway. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because of what God had told him. Yes. Amen. Amen. Isn't that right? Good. Oh, glory. You can hold this and make you happy. I'm telling you. Are you in a situation where from the natural standpoint you've got no reason to expect? Yeah, but if you have faith, you will expect anyway. Amen. Amen. Yes. I mean, from the natural, you might not have any reason to expect that this relationship problem would be worked out with somebody. Expect anyway. Do you, you might, from the natural, you might not have any reason to expect that the money is going to come and be there for you to pay all your bills in time and for you to come out. Expect Anyway, from the natural, you might not have any reason to expect to get better. To expect to be healed and whole and and live long and live a healthy life. But expect anyway. Amen. Amen. Expect anyway. Why? Based on what God has told you. 
He told you He would supply all your needs. He told you He is the Lord who heals you. He told you He heals all your diseases. He told you, told you that He took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and by His stripes you're healed and that with long life He would satisfy you and show you His salvation. Do you believe it? Praise God. Abraham had no reason to expect. Had no reason to expect to have a child, much less multitudes of children. But God told him he would, and he believed it, and he expected it, and it happened, and he's in the Bible as the father of faith. Hallelujah. Now your faith will be tried. His was. I mean, it looked like it wasn't going to work. It looked like, you know, it didn't, right after God told him, it didn't happen the next day. But he held on. And he kept expecting even when there was no, no natural reason to expect. He's a hundred years old. Sarah's ninety years old. If they went to the local hospital and said, we want to check up, we're thinking about having some kids. <laughs> they would give them no reason to expect to have any kids. They would say, there is no reason for you to expect to have any kids. But Abraham said, yes, there is. God told me. Amen. (laughs) And sometimes professionals, though they mean well and help us in many areas, they may tell you, well, there's no reason for you to expect to get better. There's no reason for you to expect to come out of this crisis. There's no reason for you to expect. You just need to resign yourself to this. Don't do it. There is something more than man's ability. There is God and He is real and He is on the throne and He wants to help you. Believe what He told you and expect anyway. Amen. Amen. Praise God. My uncle that I told you about, obviously when he came that day and told his wife, he said, by his stripes I'm healed, he began to expect to get better. When the doctors gave him no reason to expect to get better. They're preparing the family, telling them to expect him to die, just fall dead any moment. But he began to expect to get better. And he got better. And better. And better. And went back on the job and, and got a, went back for tests and they said, you're healed. But he wasn't expecting to get better based on what men told him. He's expecting to get better based on what God told him. Are you expecting anything today, my friend? I hope you are. When I say hope, I mean wish, don't I? You see, we use that all the time. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.